Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda. This week on The Agenda, streaming wars, Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Tencent, Apple. Who's really winning the battle for our subscription bucks? of streamed content is what viewers watched in 2021 in the United States alone. It was a marker of the boom time created by COVID lockdowns for the streaming market. In Europe, four players dominate. Netflix, Amazon, Apple and Disney with 72% of the markets in 2020. But with more than 200 streaming platforms available worldwide, most charging a monthly fee, has the market reached its peak? Netflix has long been the dominant power, but fortunes fade. Subscriber numbers for the fourth quarter of 2021 slumped way below market estimates. Shares fell 37% overnight, shaving off some two thirds of its value, leaving it worth around $100 billion. So just what does the future hold? The big issue for the big streamers now is churn. The number of subscribers deciding their content isn't worth the monthly subscription and cancelling their accounts. Last year, nearly 40% of customers cancelled at least one subscription in the US. So all players need to focus on customer retention. The best way to keep subscribers is to have the very best content, musty shows you can't get anywhere else. But that's expensive. Reducing fees is another option, but again, costs money. The third option? A subscription and ad-funded hybrid. It's a route Netflix and Disney have already said they're looking into. But when their favourite shows suddenly pause for an ad break, will viewers switch off? So just where is the streaming industry headed? I'm joined now from New York by Andrew Rosen, founder of streaming insights consultancy Parkour, and from Gothenburg by Tony Gunnarsson, principal TV analyst for media consultants Omdia. Gentlemen, it's great to see both of you. Thanks so much for coming on the programme. Now, Andrew, let me start with you. The pandemic was boom time for streaming services because we were all at home. We were all watching much more TV than we might have been otherwise. We were all searching for good stuff to watch. So was it inevitable that subscribers to, to platforms like Netflix were going to fall away when life returned to something like normal? I think the answer is yeah. I mean, Netflix was talking about this two years ago. They, they, they were warning of the pull forward impact. Uh, I think the, the uncertainty and all that is what did the pull forward impact mean? Uh, and, and I think that we're seeing that play out. I think they're caught a bit caught off guard by how it's played out. Uh, I don't know if that's a, a function of hubris or a function of the fact that it's actually a, an incredibly complex business that they're in. And so the, I think the other thing, though, to highlight is the competitive field flattened a bit, right, that, that you actually saw uh, streaming services from legacy media companies find their footing after a few years of being a bit uh, 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 clumsy. Uh, and having difficulty defining the value proposition for consumers and defining the technology. Uh, and so I think some key things have, have changed in that sense. Tony, I'm, I'm wondering if you agree. Do you think what's happened with Netflix is, is just a, a correction or a sign of something we should be worrying about in terms of that subscription business model? Yeah, no, I think it's both. 
So we got to be clear. I mean, like, there's been a lot to talk about streaming year zero being around 2020, um, you know, but, you know, I've been covering this industry for, you know, 15 years. And, uh, you know, Netflix internationally expanded in the early 2010s, and we've been following that movement since then. Um, in terms of the pandemic, it's great. Uh, it mostly reinforced existing underlying trends uh you know that's been our sort of core piece of analysis it didn't change anything necessarily just accelerated something that was already happening one thing one of the key things that we saw was that sort of digital transition between paid legacy pay tv and svod essentially that happened earlier because of the pandemic the key thing really is that um you know pre-2020 netflix had a you know they had a free free market they could do you know, they could enter new markets. There was no real competition. But now, uh, since then, of course, all their traditional uh, media partners have start, launched their own services. So, um, you know, now it, it is a tougher time for Netflix as it is for other services. Andrew, some of them, I'm thinking Disney Plus, their subscriber numbers are increasing. So what's happening here? Well, so the competition is an interesting question i think i think i think that there's a lot that gets distorted and wrong in that in that conversation i think number one when you look at something like disney or paramount plus and their success internationally uh they're basically mapping their library to target audiences right so that that you know if you if you really wanted to say understand why something like paramount plus is having you know, think that they're going to reach 100 million subscribers by 2025 you can look at their kids library uh, as probably a primary driver. The same thing goes for Disney+. Plus. The reality for Netflix is 60% of its consumption they've reported is kids and family. Um, but then but then the broader question is, you know, what, does a, what, what, does, what does international growth look like and, and, and why is it so uh, significant and, and why we're seeing it now, which is there's just underserved audiences, right? That you have so much penetration now with smartphones being number one. And, but then secondly, and, and kind of the bigger one, which is you do have a billion smart, uh, smart connected TV households worldwide. With 200 plus streaming companies, you might think, gosh, it's actually a crowded market. Maybe, Tony, too much choice for consumers. Where I live in the world, in the Nord, in, in, in the Nordics, in Nord, Northern Europe, you know, we have on average 15 to 18 asphalt services per market. It's insane and it's unsustainable for sure. But I think, you know, I think Andrew said a really good point. We're still in the early phase of this, you know, even though, you know, streaming at the mass market sort of commercial level has been around for, you know, we're in the second decade now. Uh, it's still really early. Um, you know, we have to imagine that we're back in you know early days of pay tv or early days of television even that's that's how big this uh you know shift is from legacy cable and satellite and broadcast tv to streaming uh, it, it is it is really a major revolution in how information is di is distributed and content and and entertainment and you know it's I think we're going to get into 2030s when we start to see that really change into something. OK, while well, there's everything to play for, I want to talk about making money and how the, the streamers are going to do that. I know Netflix and Disney, they're, they're toying um, with the idea, aren't they, of maybe reducing some of their fees, but in, 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 including some ads, which seems to go completely against the grain, against um, the DNA of, of some of these streamers, such as, as Netflix and Amazon. Andrew, what do you think about that? I think it's a complicated, I mean, it's funny, it's a complicated answer because everybody has a different model, right? That, that, the, the two best models out there, I'd say the three best models out there are Disney's, 
are Apples and they're Amazons because all of them are, are models where streaming is additive and not fundamental to the model, right? That, that ultimately, you know, that recently Disney just announced for this June through September, uh, a special offering for Disney Plus subscribers where they could get 25% off at Disney theme parks or Disney World. And that tells you that, that, for, that for somebody paying $6.99 a month, they're gonna get 25% off on something that they spend typically five to $6,000 on at least. And so you, you start to realize that the, the, the model is much more interesting when you're looking at what you can upsell to the consumer and how well you understand them, right? That whether the business model is fundamentally built around the consumer or not. Tony, I can see you nodding away there. I, I'm wondering what you're thinking about um, ad-funded models and, and what, how that changes the relationship with the consumer. Yeah, well, there's multiple different ways to approach that question. And I've spent a decade telling people that Netflix will never have adverts. They now announced it. It was a big, it is a big game changer for Netflix. It's, you know, I have colleagues who predicted it uh, in a report last year. And I said, no, that's not going to happen. I was wrong. Um, but I, th I think I've tried to explain it because I think it's quite interesting. There are different regions and different needs. Uh, in you know, around the world, in Europe, uh, tolerance uh, to, ad to watching advertising is much lower than in, in North America, for example, for a whole range of different reasons. Uh, I think if Netflix adds an, uh, a sort of cheaper ad tier in um, in America, perhaps in Asia, that could be very successful. You know, they they will probably do really well by that. In Europe, you know, um, that probably won't work as well. At the same time, we know that. You know, from Disney to, you know, some of our local services are looking to add, um, you know, to evolve away from that classic asphalt model to a hybrid with Avon tiers. That that is happening here as well. So I know that there's a push from the industry to sort of make Europeans more susceptible to watching adverts. Whether that's going to succeed or not, I'm not sure. Um, but, but yeah. Currently, everyone is talking about that hybrid model, and, and you know I can see the logic of it. But um, I, I'm certainly of the of a generation that pays YouTube to remove adverts. I, I can't stand them. I you know will never accept having adverts on a platform that I pay for. Um, but perhaps uh, you know we generations that come after us are going to be more price minded. Perhaps who knows. Okay, so you're an all-out European who doesn't like adverts. Let's talk to the American. <laughs> uh, back to you, Andrew. I'm wondering then, where, where are the opportunities for growth? Not just geographically, but also in, in terms of content. Growth then has to come nominally from selling more subscriptions, which is going to happen internationally. I mean, the reality for Netflix is for, for all the negative press about its previous quarter, most growth came from you know, most growth came internationally and actually without Russia, without the US, it had a positive growth story. And so you know, th there is going to be growth. It's lower rev ARPU growth, right? lower average, re average revenue per user growth simply because the, those marketplaces aren't, aren't as uh, considered as premium and they have you know, different price sensitivity um, uh, than the US, as premium as the US, where the price sensitivity is actually quite uh, as, as much lower. So you know, growth is a really tricky question. I think the, the sort of the interesting growth hacks we're seeing is something like the Paramount Plus has announced deals with Canal Plus and, 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 and Sky, where it's these what are called hard bundle deals. They're basically saying, we'll share consumer data at the transaction level, right? So in other words, you get the credit card data, we get the credit card data. But 
there is the real risk in those relationships that they don't get 100% of the data. And ultimately, if you really are focused on the future and focused on growth, and most importantly of all, understanding what your consumer wants and hyper-serving that, uh, you don't want a third party in there that has better data, better ad, ad solutions than you have, um, better, uh, a better, uh, a better understanding of the consumer, more tools for making that consumer happy. That at some point, you've just you know, you invited a wolf into the hen house. I'd like you both to now look into your crystal ball uh, and give me a quick outlook. Where, where do you see the streaming industry going for the, in the medium term? Andrew, you go first. I'm really focused on free. I think that these free ad-supported TV services uh, like Pluto, um, but even YouTube, are for all the talk about the consumer price sensitivity around advertising, uh, these guys are really well positioned to to take market share from the paid services for one. And it's actually like a very sort of profound reason that was that was uh, recently tweeted by the, the executive chair of the IAB, Randall Rothenberg. And it's, it's a really must read thread. But his basic point is, look, these are walled gardens, all of these places. The minute you go into Netflix or the minute you go into Disney Plus or the minute you go into like a niche app like Shudder, which is you know 49 different genres of horror, you're in that walled garden and you have no idea what's going on elsewhere. Whereas when we have when we tune into our linear television or cable box, there's a list of what's going on on other channels and other services. And so the thing that that highlights is that is that that streaming services are actually these small contained walled gardens and the less that they have to serve you with, the less less likely you are to stay in there. Whereas a lot of these fast, particularly Pluto, replicate the electronic programming guide of, of cable uh, or they try to hyper-serve the consumer with things that are going to keep them excited, right? Fox's 2B TV just announced that after every World Cup broadcast, replays of the games are going to be immediately available on their fast, 2B. And I think that there that the free part of it hits a lot of the answers a lot of the questions you were asking earlier about growth and economics. Um, but the size of the universe, and even in the case of YouTube, right? Hundreds of millions of videos I want to say being uploaded each day, maybe, right? Like it's such an extraordinary universe. But that, that in between you and those videos is an algorithm that says, well, you watch this before, here's something you may like, right? So there's all these particular uh, universes being built in, in these new walled gardens that are free, that are much more expansive uh, than the streaming services that you pay for. Tony, yeah. where do you see the, the, the future of streaming? So, okay, so, um, um, you know, over the next five to 10 years, I'm expecting that the global rollout of, uh, you know, next generation direct-to-consumer services will be complete. There'll be some consolidation between them. Uh, you know, for example, we see, we know later this year, Sky and Paramount is launching Sky Showtime, um, which is going to be sort of uh, uh, aggregated platform with content from across different services. Essentially, I'm, I'm seeing a market which is going to be split between pay and free. Uh, and I, I think that's going to be very interesting. Uh, I'm thinking something that looks quite similar to pay TV and broad, free broadcast TV, as we have here in Europe. You know, it's going to be similar, but, you know, new TV is going to look very much like old TV, but it's going to be online. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you so much, both of you, Tony Gunnison and Andrew Rosen. Thank you. Thank you. Still to come here on the agenda, ready to explode. Is China set to dominate the global market for online video? Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. 
the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the agenda. For most tech giants, China is the holy grail, a market of more than a billion potential customers. But things are very different in the world of subscription video on demand. Most of the streamers who describe themselves as global have little or no presence there. Will that ever change? And what does the future of the Chinese streaming market really look like? Joining me now from Shanghai is the CFO of China's market-leading streaming company, Yi Zheng Wang. Thanks ever so much for coming on the program. It's great to see you. I wonder if you could talk us through what the difference is between the Chinese streaming market and the rest of the world. Probably would be easier to look at the similarity first. I would say that China has, let's, let's just pick up two major markets as a comparison, China and the U.S., and for China and the U.S., both parks have massive user base. In China, we have 1.4 billion people, and the U.S. over 300, 330 million. Then both markets, for the users, they love long-form videos, i.e. the movies, the dramas, the reality shows. And we all have established leaders in the streaming service market. In U.S. is Netflix, in China is ITE. But the interesting thing, uh, Within, you know, between two markets that as the leaders, they take different approaches and different value propositions for the users. And it essentially comes down to the question of what we will offer to user and how much we will charge them, right? So in the US, what you're looking at is more likely a pure play video streaming services where you'll find the premium uh, shows, premium dramas and movies in a library in China. Of course, you will find a similar premium content in the movie category, in the dramas, in the you know, reality shows. But in addition to that, we are also inclined to offer a total solution of the digital media, digital media services. For example, in addition to the whatever listed above, we also have uh, the comic books, we have eBooks, we have online games, uh, we have live broadcastings, et cetera, et cetera. So our approach is that we want to integrate all these services together to make them more attractive to our users and to attract as big user base as possible. So I think this is one of the key differences in our business philosophies. Then as a result, since we are appealing to the biggest audience base as possible, I think we are charging, although we are using the subscription fee business model as well, we are charging them really, really at a very affordable price, let's say $2 per month. And this is a very distinct comparison compared with the established market where, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the service fee will be substantially higher. 
I'd like to zone in on your results because it was interesting for the first quarter of 2022. Total revenues, they dropped slightly, but when it came to subscriptions, new users, you saw an increase there. I mean, what do you put that down to? Right. This is exactly what we talk about. This is the value we deliver to the users, i.e. We, um, we try our best to understand what they want and give offer them the, the best solutions that they can find from the market. In the first quarter, we launched quite a few blockbuster shows uh, to start with. Uh, for example, uh, one show we launched called Lifelong Journey. This is, my friends tell, told me that they would best describe them as the Chinese version of This Is Us. It demonstrates the ordinary people's, take ordinary people's perspective to understand how this world changed over time. And this attracts millions and millions of the users. And in addition to that, they will also launch other categories, such as uh, a show called Under the Skin, and this is the Chinese version of the bones. And this particularly attracted uh, the young persons. Uh, generally speaking, they are uh, have higher interest in uh, the dramas with the suspensions and, and, and the crimes. So uh, I think uh, with the help of these premium shows, we attracted uh, uh, more users. Uh, I think before the first quarter, uh, our total subscribing member already quickly approached 100 million. And during the quarter, we had achieved a net addition of 4.4 million again. Uh, this is a great result for us. Are you saying that it's not just about subscriber numbers, but the amount that they're all spending? Is that what you're looking for to make sure that each of those subscribers spends big? Yes, I think this is uh, from data perspective. It is very clear that our subscribers are spending more. I think another way to look at it is that we continue to create a value for our subscribers. As a result, they are willing to pay us a little bit more for more premium content. So this is our take. For the inputs, our commitment is delivering as many as high quality content as possible. Then naturally we believe uh, the increasing paying willingness is only the natural result, given we only charge $2 a month, which is very, very low, uh, even, uh, you know, uh, uh, by global standard. And we do believe there are significant upside going forward from business perspective. You're, you're talking no about problem. subscribers spending more for juicy content. Um, but what about advertising? Because you've got companies who pay to have their adverts on these streaming platforms. And then you'll have your membership, your subscribers paying not to see the adverts. So, I mean, that's good news for, for, for the platform, but in terms of a sustainable business model, is it? Right. Uh, you're asking a very interesting question. So let's look back into the history, uh, Julia. I think the IT is founded 12 years ago. And since the day one, IT do not charge subscribers. They actually offer free content in total in exchange for advertisement dollars, right? So we introduced subscription model only seven years ago. And now the subscription model becomes the largest revenue contributor, accounting for over 60% of our total revenue in the first quarter, uh, I think 2022. Then looking at our US counterparty, it's very interesting that 
Netflix has been sticking to the subscription model throughout. But recently, I think they are considering the possibility of launch ad-based tiering product as well, which will be specifically designed for uh, the users, uh, basically who will be more inclined or be more receptive to the advertisement embedded products. I'm very sure that there is no one single business model that can survive without change over time. And every sound business model need to be adaptive. It need to be adaptive to the change of the technology. It need to be adaptive to the change of the market. And it, it need to be adaptive to the changing competitive landscape as well. So I think both of us as the leaders in different, very different geographical regions, both of us are working our best to find this sweet spot that where the market can take. Jung Fang, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up on a future agenda, as Europe prepares for its summer holidays, can airports and airlines really cope in a post-COVID world? But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and all the Agenda team here in London, goodbye.